Hola, and bienvenido al podcast número 277, the podcast de Armen Show con o convidado Ricardo López de the Dissenter. It was close. I wanted to switch it up on this one. Welcome to episode number 277 of the Armen Show with my guest, fellow podcaster in Portugal, Ricardo López. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Armen. Thank you for the invitation. You know it. This is a great thing. First, I want to mention when I think of Portugal, which you made me think of, I used to play a game a long time ago on the internet called Uniball, and there were a lot of Portuguese players that joined the game, and there were a lot of them were my friends. They liked a lot of different football players, and that was like in 2000, 2001, 2002, and that's how I got to know a lot of Portuguese people all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's cool. Now, you have, similar to me, a show called The Dissenter on YouTube and your podcast. We both have a show, which is wonderful. How did you get into the category? I've noticed we have spoken to some of the same people on your show. You have social commentary, science, philosophy, and interviews, also known as entrevistas. How did you get into it? Uh, well, um, I've been reading on these subjects on most of the subjects the subjects that I cover on my show, mainly anthropology and psychology for more than 10 years now. It was, it was basically a hobby. And then I turned, into, I turned it into a YouTube channel and a podcast. I started the podcast one year after I started my YouTube channel. And basically it was just because I was interesting, interested in those kinds of subjects and also to have an excuse to invite people that I admire to talk with them. That makes sense. This is a cool feature. It's nice to connect with people that you like. That's your world. And maybe the rest of the world is not really our world in the way. Yeah, you, yeah, in a way. Have you always been interested in science, psychology? What's the specific categories that have pulled you in? Was this from a young age? You tell us. Uh, well, I've been very much interested in psychology for a long time. I got into evolutionary psychology some five years ago. And I mean, basically, evolutionary psychology was what drew me the most to keep reading uh, about other psychological branches. And most of my interviews in psychology are about evolutionary psychology. And then I also have some on behavioral genetics, and those are the the areas that I that I prefer the most. But I mean, I, I also lo love social science in general, and like some ninety percent of my interviews are about social science, anthropology, psychology, economics, sociology. I only have one or two about social on sociology, but Anyway, th those are the kinds of areas that interest me the most. Mm -hmm. Are there categories that are not really your category that you probably wouldn't interview about? Are there a lot of things that is not your thing? Uh, well, I haven't had anyone to, uh, to talk about physics, for example, on the show. I have an interview on philosophy of physics, but I never had a physicist on the show. Probably next month in September, I will have my first physicist on the show, but okay. uh, let, let's see how it goes. But it's really not one of my main areas of interest. If it's social science and not so much physics and that kind, 
Are you more people-oriented? Have you always been people-oriented? And when you were growing up, did you see other as much other individuals like you who were more thoughtful? Uh, well, I I have very good psychological intuitions. Let's say I'm very intuitive psychological. I mean, psychologically, I mean, in terms of thinking about my own psychology and the psychology of other people, but. I wouldn't say that I am that much people-oriented. I think I am more uh, intellectually oriented. I mean, I'm interested in learning new things, but I'm not very much interested in, for example, uh, meeting new people and things like that. And I'm not that extroverted. I mean, in terms of the big five, for example, I score 55 on extroversion. I mean, it's halfway between introversion and extroversion, but I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm very people oriented. Oh, huh. That's interesting. I like to see little points of comparison and whatnot. I also like intellectual material, but I am or have been more people oriented and pretty extroverted usually when in public, when in public. One thing that came to mind was uh, we have talked to some of the same individuals and some in different ways. Like one time I did a text interview with Robert Sapolsky and you had an actual video interview with him. We are curious, who are some of the people that come to mind when you think of your show about someone you connected with or a concept that you still remember to this moment? Uh, well, I mean, the interview that I loved the most was the one with Libby Cosmides, that is one of the mothers of evolutionary psychology and is also my longest interview until now. It Can you repeat his name? Libby Cosmides. Okay. Yeah, uh, it ran for more than three hours. It's the longest interview on the show. Uh, and uh, I mean, it was really nice because she. She, uh, she didn't put any time constraints on it and we were able to talk as much as we pleased and it was really nice. That, that was my favorite interview. And in terms of acquiring new ideas, well, maybe when I had Dale Perbs on the show that is one of the fathers of cognitive neuroscience, I think that was a very challenging interview because it's not one of the areas that I focus the most on. I'm, I'm not that focused on cognitive neuroscience and I read one of his books and one of his textbooks. And I mean, it was so vast that I really have to choose just a handful of topics to cover because we only have half an hour or something like that. And it was really challenging. Even during the interview, uh, I was still thinking about things and how to pose new questions and what to ask about and things like that. Speaking of that, two things come to mind. One of them, that flow is cool. Like you're saying about the long episode, it's very nice when it flows and it's just two people being people. That's a great feature, right? Yeah. And then the second one is you just mentioned that uh, you were talking to him and how how much is it along the way that you are planned beforehand versus 
going off of what's happening right at the moment? Well, it depends on the interviews. I mean, there are interviews for which I have lots and lots of topics that I want to ask about. And sometimes I just follow the questions that I have written. I don't read them usually only if there's a quotation, for example, or the title of a paper or a book. But um, there are many interviews where if people give a certain type of answer and then follow-ups come to my mind, I usually pose them unless I have some specific time constraint. There are people that tell me that they only have one hour or 45 minutes and they have to work with that. And so I avoid the follow-ups most of the time in those cases. But uh, there are interviews also where I don't have that many topics to ask the person about. And I try to do as many follow-ups as I can. This is one coming from me as a co-creator. What are some difficulties you have had along the way? Obviously, there's quite a few that show up, but do you remember any steps where it was like something got stuck on or like a scheduling thing? Was there anything that comes to mind that was like a challenge at some point? Well, I never had scheduling challenges, I think. The, the kind of challenge that I had sometimes, but now it has been solved for a very long time was that the recording program that i use to record from skype back in in late 2018 there were a couple of months where uh, it it updated and then it wasn't working that well with the skype version back then and so there were interviews where I lost the video and then it was a bit frustrating and they had to release the interview audio only. Right. That makes sense. I remember I had a couple, I had an issue with Skype with the audio that it, I couldn't fix it, but when I switched to Zoom, it never came back. It was specific to that. That's funny. There's these key moments, but people on the other side of your content, they don't really see it because they just see what worked out well. And then the rest is for the person to take in. A couple of the people... Uh, you have talked to Dr. Corey J. Clark. I had seen that and then I had talked to her later, but I went back to yours. I thought it was cool, your discussion with her. And then you had sort of like a panel with two people, I think, on one. That's cool and very uncommon in episodes. What are your thoughts on having uh, multiple guests? Do you like that idea? Where do you want to go with that? Uh, well, I would like to have more multiple guest episodes because i mean it's interesting to have more than one person giving their ideas their opinions but at the same time and on the other hand it's much more difficult to do because you have to keep control over who's talking and i mean instead of being each person talking one at a time. I mean, sometimes I ask a question and I really have to be careful to direct it at one of the guests specifically. Otherwise, they will talk over one another and it's a bit complicated. But uh, I also never done debates, at least for now. And that would be even harder because you have to keep track 
at least if you have a time limit you have to keep track of the time that each person is using otherwise it's risky that one of them will speak for much longer than the other and that's that's an issue that's true that's an element of management we don't think about if it starts to end up usually in life it ends up that a couple of people take all the time and then the other person it'll look not great later in comparison one thing that comes to mind i don't have that ability is that you have english and if you wanted portuguese and that and is that helpful to have multiple languages at your ability i know you spoke once with arlindo oliveira i once interviewed him by text not by uh, on video what is that like and do you plan to continue to do both do you have any goals as far as like language usage well i just invite people on the show whose work interests me so basically i don't care if they speak english or portuguese i mean i i also speak french but i'm not i don't have a very advanced level of french so i so i never risk inviting french speaking people on the show yet uh, but basically i can use both languages and i also have some portuguese interviews not not that many uh, but i mean it it also depends a bit on the people that accept invitations because it's not that i've invited uh, very few portuguese speaking people is that probably i have a higher uh, rejection rate from Portuguese people than from international people. I'm not sure why, but that happens. I like that point. That used to be a thing for me with uh, before my podcast, but a long time ago, some people I would connect with and they'd say, wait, how come you left out this group? And I was like, I'm not leaving out that group. They're just not working with me as much. So sometimes you can't see it from the outside. One thing that's cool is we have some similar, like I like science. I like interviews. I like, like there's some similarity. Uh, it makes me think of, well, there's the big five. That's the more accurate one. And then Myers-Briggs, which is not as accepted, but I, I find it cool. Do you know your Myers-Briggs and or any descriptions like that of yourself? Uh, I don't know my Myers-Briggs personality factors, I guess, but because I mean, I've read some literature on it, and it's basically mostly pseudoscience. But I know my big five, more or less, I mean, in terms of openness to experience, I'm really high in openness to experience. I'm in the 99th percentile. Uh, in terms of conscientiousness, I'm really high as well. I'm in the 97th percentile. Mm -hmm. uh, extroversion, as, as I already right. said before, uh, the 55th percentile. Right. And, um, and then in terms of neuroticism, I'm also very high. It's between 89 and the 91st percentile. And then agreeableness, uh, I'm more or less low in agreeableness. I'm in the 35th percentile. That makes sense. You know, speaking of agreeableness, if it is high, 
Is that like a people pleaser? And then if it's low, it's like uh, more of a breaking rapport kind of individual? Or does that mean more discerning of like, this is what I value and uh, that's not what I work with and I will not go with it? Is that a way to think about it? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure if it works that way. Agreeableness is basically, uh, okay, it has two aspects, politeness and compassion. And I mean, it's a little bit complicated because if you break it down into the two aspects, uh, I mean, you can have uh, relatively low agreeableness and then score relatively high on one of those aspects. And for example, I score very low in politeness, but very high in compassion. So it's a little bit more complicated than that, but I guess that uh, one thing that being disagreeable might get you ahead of other people is that uh, you really don't care if you hurt other people's feelings. And so if you have to do it, you just do it and it doesn't bother you. So. That's a cool quality. That means you go more in the direction of yourself and you're less disappointed. You're less likely to have regrets that you didn't do things that mattered to you. Uh, I wouldn't say things that don't matter to me. I would no, matter say to that, you. Uh, oh, that, that matter to me. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm not sure about that. I think that agreeableness is more of what I said, is more of being a person that follows the rules, that, uh, I mean, care, someone that cares about other people's feelings and uh, I mean stuff like that it's not really about uh, caring that much about my own things or other people's problems I mean it's a little bit of that but not that much I think at least in my under, uh, in my understanding so mm -hmm. When I think of those things in extroversion, I'm pretty high conscientiousness too. Openness to experience, probably. My agreeableness is probably higher, I think. I don't know. And then neuroticism, I think, was low, lower. I think that was mine as far as the five. Now, one thing that comes to mind, do you, do you have visions for like six months, one year, four years down the line as far as do you have an idea of exactly where you want it to be? Is it more along the way that this is where it's at and we'll see how planned is it or structured or envisioned for your show? Well, I mean, I have some minor goals, for example, until recently I had the goal of interviewing specific people like, for example, Steven Pinker and Robert Sapolsky. I've already had them on the show. I also have uh, still a list of very important people that I would like to interview, like Jonathan Hyde and uh, who else? I also interviewed Noam Chomsky. So basically Jonathan Hyde, and then there are other people that I can't remember right off the top of my head now. Uh, but uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think in terms of goals that I want to achieve, okay, so I want to get that uh, X thousand subscribers or something like that, or I want to get 
in X amount of money per month from this, or I, I just, it's just things that I'm planning as I go, as I move along. It's along the way. How long ago did you start the show in total? And were you doing anything like creative output or something in this category before that years ago? Uh, no, I never did anything like this before I started the show. And I started in February 2018, so around two years and a half ago. Ah, that's interesting. So nothing before then. So was it a big switch or was it something that you had left? One day I will do that. And then you did that. Uh well, uh, uh, when I started the show for the first two months, I still had the day job. And that's why if you go back to then, I was simply putting out one interview per week. Now I'm posting two or three new interviews per week. And But basically, I started, it started getting easier to get positive replies from people i mean people that accepted invitations to come on the show because at the beginning it was very hard because i didn't have anything to show them and uh, i just started doing it full time and now i'm also i also have a reasonable amount of support per month from patrons and people who support me on paypal so it's going well i think this is true i do like that you're very organized in your output your description of the people that are your supporters your uh, actual episode output the the consistency of your content who you're talking to it it's a it's solid there's nothing in there that seems like out of place i notice like detail i like to look at details and so there's nothing that's like a big lacking item. That's cool. Is there any other podcasters you look at and you think I like some of their features or any that got you into the category or anyone you know personally who does podcasting kind of the same way? Is there any people in the category that you look at? Well, the ones I watch the most are God Sad, who I already have on the show as well. Uh, he's been he has a youtube channel he's a professor of uh, marketing and evolutionary psychology at concordia university in canada and basically he has a youtube channel that has been running since i think 2015 or 2016 and he he, he does interviews now and then uh, lately it's not been that frequently that he does interviews but he has done uh, uh, some tens of interviews now uh, and I, I really like his style and he's also interested in the kinds of subjects that interest me the most and then I also watch uh, sometimes the interviews done by Michael Shermer uh, the, the head of Skeptic magazine and he, uh, he is, it is interesting because he, all, he usually interviews people that have published recent books or books that are about to be published. 
Uh, and so by watching these interviews, I get to learn about books that I didn't know were published, and that's very interesting. And then uh, I also watch sometimes the interviews done by Lex Friedman, that is a guy that works on uh, artificial science, uh, artificial intelligence, sorry, uh, at Harvard, and he does interviews mostly focused on artificial intelligence and cognitive science, and he has some very interesting stuff on his channel as well. Mm -hmm. I noticed that about Michael Shermer too. He's another one that I interviewed by text, not by video. It was back then I interviewed some people by text. And he does bring out new books and upcoming books. And he's one of the few that does that. I noticed that too. I thought to myself, most are not in that form. I also like to check new books. How often do you read books? Do you like to read full books or maybe research papers or articles? Or what do you like to do in the text world? Uh, well, I really love to read books uh, in terms of preparing the interviews. It depends because there are many researchers that I interview who don't have any published books. They only have papers in peer-reviewed journals and that's what I have to read. But, uh, but I, I read quite a lot uh, and yeah, I try to keep, uh, I, I try to read all or at least the ones that I know about the, the interesting science books that are published each year. And then when I don't have that to read, I just, uh, I just read other books that I haven't read yet, that are, have been published longer ago. So yeah, but I, I really love to read and I read a lot. That's cool. That's neat. A lot of the people I've spoken to, it was based on their book, but then you're right. Some individuals, they haven't written a book and they just have research. I've had very few like that, but that's a different category of people that just didn't put out a book and they still have their wonderful material. Do you like reading research papers specifically? Because they have something, there's like a fun category to the conclusion and the details and the steps along the way. Yeah, if it's a topic of my interest, I really love to read them. And for me, sometimes it's even better to read the papers because uh, most of the time they are in peer-reviewed peer journals and at least I have some assurance that, that they have been reviewed by other people and that they follow certain norms of rigorousness and things like that because uh, there are times where people that write books, they particularly when they want to tackle subjects that are not of their expertise. I mean, the the literature they base themselves on is not that solid. And so, and I, and I really like for my interviews to be as scientific as possible. Right. They're science-based. Did you, as I always like to go back to being a young person, when you're a younger person, did you like science and math over humanities, like English and history? Was there any difference to those for you? Uh, well, there wasn't, there wasn't ever a, a big difference in terms of my interest, but I still tend to prefer the sciences to the humanities. But as you can see on my channel and my podcast, I also have many interviews with philosophers and, a handful of interviews with historians, 
for example. I'm going to bring in a philosophy concept here because you said philosophers. What, where do you lean on the, like, is so much determined in this existence? Do we have some sort of choice in what we're doing? How do you lean in that thought process? Well, I agree with Robert Sapolsky and I guess Mary's as well. And I think there is no free will at all. I think that everything is determined, if not by your genes or the way your brain is structured. Uh, I mean, also from several envir environmental factors and your culture and the ideas you're exposed to. I mean, I think that all of those ingredients together are uh, bring determinism to the table and I think that there's no free will whatsoever and if you read the book like Behave by Robert Sapolsky you get a pretty neat idea of what I'm talking about because basically he follows the different steps from what happened a second ago to what happened a million years ago or something like that and so I mean there's no steps where there's any evidence that you have any sort of control or at least conscious control valid point there yes it's sort of yeah the idea that like if you took a moment of time and stopped it there the next moment would be exactly what it would have been based on the previous moment if you included all those variables that's a neat that's a neat one there i am along the same page as you which means it was all planned i was meant to talk to Ricardo Lopez today. Okay, that's how it was all set up for. And then at some point, I'm going to visit different parts of the earth in a way that was already planned beforehand and things like that. That's kind of a cool feature. If it's all planned beforehand, it takes away any sort of uh, worry. I try to let this tell people about this concept because if that's the case, what could you possibly worry for or have some issue or nervousness? It's that's the path and it's occurring. It's a different way to look at things, right? Uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting idea. But at the same time, I mean, we're still human and we still have, have our biases and things like that. And I mean, I don't know if it's really possible to live without at least worrying a little bit about the future, about tomorrow, about what will happen in our lives and to to plan a little bit ahead because i mean sometimes people can get into problematic situations uh, it's not that uh, they are really making free choices but even if their planning is deterministic or determined in some way uh, it's still the case that we have those kinds of worries and that's simply being human. The idea of being human. I sometimes like to think of uh, descriptions of myself in a few words. Like I think of uh, sort of fearless, creative, non-contextual. Do you have any terms or descriptions you think of that you associate with yourself that you identify with? Oh. That's an interesting question. Let's yes. see if I can come up with something because I never thought about that before. Uh, well, I think that basically I would go for the title of my show, The Descender, because I basically 
always felt a little bit of a dissenter in my life because, for example, on my channel, I explore scientific topics. Many of them are controversial, particularly because they come from the social sciences and, I mean, things that have to do with psychology and sociology and people's behavior are the ones that people push against the most, at least uh, in my experience. And then, I mean, I don't really feel bothered by uh, confronting myself with new ideas and uh, ideas opposite to mine, uh, and even some controversial ideas and some that even run against perhaps my own morality, because I'm just interested in uh, hearing and reading about people's arguments and particularly in science, reading what the evidence tells us instead of simply uh, getting fixated on my own ideas or arguments or whatever. So um, uh, I'm a dissenter in that sort of way, in that uh, I don't really care that much about what the majority of people think. I look at the evidence and I listen to people's arguments and I also, I'm also not that attached to my own ideas. Mm -hmm. Less ego in person. That's good. One thing is based on that, then if you don't take too much into account, then as your material or content grows in popularity, then any outside non-support or uh, energy that isn't build up, you don't really pay attention to that. It's just over there. Uh, well, I mean, because I'm high in neuroticism, I tend to pay a lot of attention to negative things or at least things that produce negative emotions in me. And yeah, sometimes I... Sometimes uh, if people make negative comments or something like that, I think about them for a time. I mean, I eventually forget them. But I mean, it's, it's not that I simply don't care about what other people think and say. It's mostly that I think about that for a while and then I forget it. And then uh, because I've been... I, I've been having lots of positive comments, particularly from the people I've interviewed, and those are the one are the experts, basically. I mean, at the end of the day, it's more or less easy to uh, forget the negative comments. That's true. I like that concept. I've said similar. Like, if I'm getting along with certain individuals who are the ones guiding or pioneering concepts, then I'm going to give more weight to those opinions than those that are maybe following those concepts or like not even paying attention to them. That's not, that's not for my category. We should know our world in a way. One thing that I always think about is, do you have any life messages that you follow? or like quotes or like a message that you remind yourself regularly 
or in a journal. I don't know if you keep a journal, but like that kind of material. Actually, I don't have any of that. And the, I mean, you're asking me if I have some, let's say, philosophy of life or something like that, or if I follow the ideas of certain people about life. And uh, I don't really, I, I guess that what I really care about is the truth. Of course, I'm also human and sometimes basically I'm convinced that something is true and then new evidence uh, disconfirms that thing and then I have to restructure, let's say, my belief system or something like that. But I, I don't have any sort of major philosophy of life nor anything like that. I, I guess that I seek truth, and that's what what matters the most to me. I would say, in some description from my end, you are following along Charles Darwin's most valuable trait of humans, which is adaptation to the moment. And I've noticed that those that don't adapt to the moment, it works for a month, a week, a year, and then at some point, it breaks down because the moment has changed, but you're not with it now and got stuck in some framework that doesn't apply to that day so that's a healthy thing and then the lack of ego that is those are connected that's a nice feature sometimes i like to do this once in a while do you have a question for me reverse one host of a different show any thoughts that come to mind do you have any questions for this individual here <laughs> well i wasn't prepared for these but <laughs> uh, I, I mean Okay, so I, I noticed that you interviewed many people about their books. Yes. Do, do you focus when you interview people and it's about a particular subject or subject of their work? Do you prefer to focus on people that have written books or do you also do interviews with people that haven't any books published? This is a... So normally I have been very, there's something about books that I've always connected with more so than anything else. And I kind of like having, like saying, you know, sometimes a book, I, I'm a big fan because it's like I, I can hold it and I can, it's very cool. And so usually it is book-based or new books because they just came out. I like to be with the energy of the release and that is a nice feature and usually I wouldn't have found them as much if it was just from research. Actually, that's a question back to you. If it's more research-based individuals, how would you have found them in the first place? Uh, well, there are people, for example, I, I sometimes I read textbooks and textbooks usually have, have many different authors and I also read edited books, scientific, uh, scientific edited books. And so usually I get many new names from those kinds of books, but other times uh, people suggest me some names and other times I simply get across certain people on the internet, on Twitter mostly, and I look into their work and if it seems interesting to me, I, I read a bit about it and then invite the people on the show and if they accept the invitation I read more 
and that's basically basically how things happen that makes sense i was thinking about that before because it's it wouldn't be likely like i would look at the new releases on amazon of like math and science and other places where books come out or publicists would send something but if it was just somebody that had their research usually i wouldn't have just found them that's how i thought about that but if it's the way you're describing or if i looked at the notes section of uh some of yeah the you can also links. do that yeah sometimes i do that as well rarely but yeah it also happens little links there that's cool the good news is if we are in a direction we find our way to it or it finds its way to us the life is not usually like a wall forever that's to us we we go towards that it naturally i think leans towards itself that's a cool feature. Ricardo, I would like to say this has been wonderful discussing a variety of topics on this episode with you about your show, The Dissenter, with over thousands of subscribers at this time, I want to point out. Over 5,000 and also content with a variety of people, consistent effort, two to three episodes a week. This is some wonderful stuff and straightforward adapting to the moment that's a nice feature i would like to thank you for having been on this episode thank you for inviting me it was a pleasure glad to have you on and we are <laughs>